Danielle Houston. I'm a benefits advisor with Propel Insurance. You're listening to my podcast, The Checkup, where we talk about all kinds of things related to employee benefits and healthcare and human resources. I love to talk about emerging trends and any kind of hope in healthcare that we can explore. And today we have a great topic in that space around virtual care, or as Regents likes to call it, convenient care, because it is a lot more wide than maybe what you might think of with just telehealth. My guest today is Brody Dichenko. He is with Regents Blue Shield, and that includes the space of Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Utah. He's been with Regents 19 years. That's right. How does time ever go so quickly? I can never quite get a grasp. I know. As we were just talking right before this, I had to do the math in my head and it just sounded like a lot bigger number than I thought it would be. But yeah, it always it feels really like it's flown. just been a couple yeah. years and then you do yes. the math and it's <laughs> a lot more than that. Brody is the general manager here of Convenient Care, which is a relatively new role yes. for Regents. Yes. And this is going to be part of the series that we're doing with Regents. So you're going to hear a few different podcast episodes that are directly connected to the value that Regents is bringing and the innovation, because I do think that is a space that Regents has worked very hard to not just do the same thing year over year, but to innovate. So let's talk a little bit about you and tell me a little bit about your background and then we'll jump into telehealth. Great. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it's uh, amazing. It's already year 19. I've been in a couple of areas in the organization ranging from provider relations to healthcare services to the digital side of the organization with the websites was one of the co-founders of a company called HealthSpark that is a consumer transparency capability that helps people choose doctors and hospitals based on cost and quality and patient reviews. And now am in this role with Convenient Care that just started three years ago. And it's a pretty exciting space because it allows us to take a look at all the different factors that people have in getting care and bring it together, both the digital aspects as well as the human aspect of it. And so while most people get care through traditional terms, such as going to the doctor's office or urgent care center or an emergency room or emergency department, I get to evaluate and research ways that people can get care brought to them. And so whether it's having a phone chat, a video chat, asking a doctor to come to your home rather than you having to go to their office. There's just many great opportunities in this convenient care space. I agree. And I think a lot of the, the space that we often think is only the telephone call. But to your point, I mean, I think everyone is exploring how do we get beyond even that. We have a certain expectation now as a society where Mm -hmm. everything, you can do that with your telephone, you've got a computer that you're basically carrying around with you, and we have some very real challenges that aren't even just specific to where we live, but there's shortage of providers. Yes, yes. So looking at how these things create efficiencies and keep us from maybe, you know, scheduling that brick and mortar appointment for something yes. that could have been done from the comfort of your home yeah. at any time. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, you actually bring up a really good point because convenience is something that I definitely want to emphasize, but the quality aspect and access to doctors that you indicated is equally as important. So there is a shortage of behavioral health providers yes. and there is a shortage of capabilities where a primary care physician 
may notice that one of their patients has a behavioral health need, but they don't really know where to refer them to, or maybe the wait time to get that behavioral health visit could be weeks, if not months. Imagine how much more amplified that is for someone who lives in a rural area where there isn't right. even a behavioral health provider physically within a, a reasonable amount of distance. And so there is the convenience factor, and it is more convenient than having to drive several hours to see a provider, but it actually is a quality aspect to it as well because you actually are giving access to people to be able to access more specialists as a result of it. And it isn't just behavioral health. Imagine someone who has been diagnosed with a really advanced form of cancer, and let's say that the foremost expert in that particular area of oncology happens to be in Chicago or in Orlando. Rather than having to pack up and go to those places and have that visit with telehealth and virtual care and convenient care, there's now the capabilities to handle those types of needs virtually, where all the data could be sent to that doctor, the doctor could review it, and you could have a video consultation with that world expert in that particular field. So there definitely is a quality aspect to this as well. Yeah, I think you know, the more we start talking about what the possibilities are, that's one of the things that I do think is the most exciting thing that has yeah. probably happened in healthcare in a really long yes. time. The possibilities kind of blow my mind. Yes. And I think, you know, let's to also just point out that a lot of employers, if you're offering a fully insured plan, you already have many of these benefits that are embedded, yes. whether you know about them or not. Yes. If you are self-funded, this is an option that you can purchase and add on to your plan. Yes. And why wouldn't you, if you are looking at where every claim dollar goes, this is a really important segment here that can help with your cost management. But if you do have these benefits and you don't know that, yes. That's one of our biggest challenges with yes. virtual care. So tell me a little bit about what do we see with most of our you know, fully insured clients with utilization on virtual sure. care or telehealth? So it really is a broad array of awareness and utilization. So I'll kind of give you some stats here. So Generally speaking, over 90% of our health plans have a virtual care benefit, specifically the telehealth option of phone or video chat. Right now, if you take the number of visits in a given year and divide that by a group population, generally speaking, the average is around 2%. So that's a pretty low number overall, but when you put it into context that over half of people actually never have a claim during the course of the year, it kind of makes that number a little bit more, I guess, better from that perspective, but still 2% in my mind is still fairly low. Too low, yeah. When you know that most <clears throat> of the people that are on a health plan, they have a yes. smartphone, yes. right? Very yes. small percentage. That Probably <laughs> over 90% of people have a smartphone, yes. um, 2% using the virtual care yes. capabilities. But one of the things that we have seen is that the role of the employer actually has a very major impact in the awareness and utilization of that particular benefit. So we have some groups that the employer has been actively participating in the promotion of the capability, whether it's sending an email from someone in the HR department, whether it's doing a benefit fair and promoting it there. We see numbers closer to the 8 to 10% range, which in my mind 
is pretty good, especially for something that is relatively new. Even though it's been around for a while, I think most people are not fully aware of the capabilities. And whenever I talk to people about the idea of virtual care, they go, that's great. I wish my plan would cover it. And then it's like, well, your plan does cover it. It's just, it seems too good to be true in some cases. But we're seeing some participation rates around the 8 to 10% range. When I say participation, it's actually the number of visits divided by the population within a given year. And so that's a 5x amplification of awareness and engagement when the employer is involved. So to get to that 2%, we've tried many things such as giving posters to the employers to hang up around the office, which makes a lot of sense if most of the employees are situated at the office. We definitely know that certain industries, the workforce is out and about and isn't able to see those things. We've also tried uh, email campaigns. We've tried incentive campaigns. And one of the things that we've seen there is while we can get an increase in registrations, what we are really studying is whether those registrations actually translate to utilization. And that's one of the biggest challenges of engagement campaigns when it comes to virtual care is that we can engage someone to register but they're likely not feeling sick at the time that they are registering. And so when we give them a $5 incentive for a gift card or there's a raffle drawing chance to win something, it does draw in a lot of people to register. In some employer groups, we have you know close to 30 to 40 to 50% registration rates in the capability, but that was because they were able to get a potential reward in return. But two months later, when they're actually have their allergies or the flu, how likely are they to remember that they actually registered for this? It and that's can be why out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. Yeah. So the ongoing reminders is actually really key, which is why when the employer is involved in promoting it continuously, that reminder helps them. I think you mentioned at a Regents Advisor Council not too long ago that it's recommended to at least every couple of months do some kind of a reminder about access to convenient care. Monthly is best, but just recognizing the amount of information that, you know, an HR department is trying to share with their employee base quarterly is definitely understandable and is good enough. Yeah, Yeah. but I think when we talk about the cost, you know, obviously the value for a member to use a convenient care program as opposed to going to the emergency room, even going into a walk-in clinic, there's big savings from that standpoint, but there's also some significant savings for the employer too. Yes. And so this is something that my team has been looking really deeply in and at the risk of getting a little too nerdy with the facts here. It's all right. There's a couple of things that we've looked at. So there is, as you pointed out, the alternative cost of going somewhere more costly. So I think everyone knows the emergency department is one of the most expensive places to get care, especially when you have a routine need. Urgent care and doctor's offices are relatively less expensive. But the telehealth option or virtual care tends to even be less than that. And so when you take a look at the comparison of what someone did, in this case, have a virtual care visit versus what they could have had, there is, as you say, savings both to the consumer and to the employer or payer. But some of the things that we started looking to, and this is the nerdy part, is what happens when you make something easier than going to the doctor? Because staying at home and having a video visit is easier than getting changed, getting into your car, going somewhere, 
waiting in a traffic, waiting in a waiting room for right. that care. And so there is some level of what we call induced demand as a result of that. And that induced demand does have a cost because now you're doing something rather than nothing. And so based on our research, we found that 80% of telehealth visits actually are replacing a actual in-person visit that would have happened. So that means 20% is likely replacing a situation where the person would have stayed at home and did nothing. nothing. Okay. And so that was one factor that we looked at. And so that's called the replacement rate. So how often okay. are you replacing an in-person visit? Okay. The other nerdy thing that we looked at was, okay, there's this perception that whenever I have a virtual visit, that they're just gonna tell me to go in anyways. And if that happens, then not only do I pay for the visit of the in-person visit, but I'm also paying for that person that said, you need to go into the doctor anyways. And so we call that the resolution rate. And so how often does it get resolved? And what we found in our research, we actually looked through a year's worth of claims. Everyone who had a telehealth visit, did they have an in-person visit within seven days with any doctor or provider in the network, not just the one that they had a conversation with, but with any provider for the same diagnosis? And in 2017, that number was 93% did not have a follow-up visit in person. We refreshed that through 2018 data, and you're actually the first person to hear this stat right here, but that number is now more than 95%. Wow. So could that be a rounding error, perhaps? But at the end of the day, 93, 95, that's still a really high resolution rate. So when we take in account what someone could have done, what care could have been induced, mm-hmm. and whether it was resolved, we published a number that roughly $120 is saved on average for a consumer. So that includes roughly $90 of that is just claims cost expense because an urgent care center, a emergency department, a doctor's office is generally more expensive than a telehealth visit. This is not to say that you shouldn't go to any of those, but when your care can be done through telehealth, there is that savings and it factors in increased inducement. It involves the resolution rate that it comes out to around $120. So $90 of that is claims, $30 of that is associated with not having to get into your car. So there's a mileage savings. There is a wait time savings. So we kind of equate that at roughly 30 bucks. But if you're only looking at pure healthcare cost, on average, it's 90 bucks. That's a real number. And that's it is. that's significant for most people. And if gas gets up to $4 a gallon yes. around here, I mean, we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, it might be $90 on gross. that side as well. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, all joking aside, I mean, I've used a lot of virtual care. Most of the things that have happened within my family in the last last two years have been things that we could video chat or have a telephone call. Out of those times, there was one that the doctor said, I really think you need to go to the walk-in clinic because it is hard for me to tell what exactly. And it was my daughter with strep throat. And he couldn't quite see what was going on in the back of her throat and thought she needed a sample. Yes. So that's what we did. And, you know, I'm on a high deductible, just like a lot of other members. And when you start shopping around and thinking about how do you want to spend yeah. the dollars that you have, yeah. that convenient care makes yes. a lot of sense yes. a lot of the time. But the things that can't go there, maybe mm-hmm. that would be a good thing, especially if we have people that are listening to this as just a user of healthcare, maybe not the buyer. But, you know, if you're having chest pains, Go to the ER, right? Maybe the ear infection should go to the doctor. 
Sure. If you're having back pain, because yeah. we're not going to see prescriptions for yes. pain meds or virtual care. Anything else that would be a no-go? Yeah, I think just as you share, like common sense is probably one of the best guides in this particular case. I will say that the doctors that are offering virtual care, the ones that exclusively offer care through virtual care have all been trained to diagnose things through phone, video, even text or chat capabilities. And so if there's something that they're not comfortable with or feel that you need a further examination, they're not going to stretch beyond what their capabilities are. They're all board certified. They're all bound to the same quality standards as someone would treat you in person. So they're not going to take chances uh, with you. I mean, it really doesn't help them in any way. It's not a customer service rep with like WebMD pulled up. Yes, yes, yes. Let me pull that up for you. See what (laughs) Dr. Google has to say. Right. I mean, I can Um, be Dr. Google. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's definitely a good place to start. And I think as I shared that stat that over 95% don't have a follow-up visit, that should give us some confidence that the issues are being resolved. Yeah, they're not trying to just drive us into emergency care. Yes, yes, yes. So we've talked about what the capabilities look like now with virtual care, and you've mentioned text and telephone calls, video. Where do you think, and you said this earlier, I think before we started actually recording, these are just your opinions. Yes, yes. Educated opinions. (laughs) Um, Educated opinions. (laughs) Educated opinions, yeah. Where do you think this is going? You actually pointed out that there are a list of things that generally can't be done today or in recent history through virtual care and telehealth. And some of those things, as you indicated, are things where particular lab tests need to be drawn, or maybe it requires some further tactile touching a particular body part or looking into the body through the ear or the throat. I do see that the role of devices will help out quite a bit in this particular space. So there are devices out there. Some of them you can even buy at like a Best Buy or something like that, that help enhance and augment the virtual visit. There are FDA approved devices that can send the sound of your heartbeat, your lung function over to the doctor that could be 100 miles away. And it's just like they're listening to your heart or listening to your lungs in their office. I've even heard, I've been in meetings with some doctors saying that the sound quality is actually better than the devices that they have because wow. you know you know what a stethoscope looks like. I mean, yeah. it's there's nothing really electronic about it, but when you actually have digital tools that could amplify, get rid of background noise, mm-hmm. the actual sound quality is actually superior to actually going in the office and using one of the traditional stethoscopes. There are devices that send super high res video of in your ear down your throat. So when you were talking about strep throat, what if you actually had one of these devices and it showed your daughter's throat and they could tell because there are some forms of strep throat that don't require a lab test. So I do see that the role of devices will help replicate, if not enhance, virtual visits to make it as similar to an in-person visit as well. I'll go on a little bit of a tangent here because an idea popped into my mind as we were talking about these devices, is that there are some advantages to virtual visits over in-person visits in the sense that If I was a psychologist or a psychiatrist and I was having a behavioral health therapy session with one of my patients, to see the person in their natural surroundings at home 
may actually give me more information than if they were in my office because I could see the living conditions that they're in. I could see, you know, what is around them. Are they hoarding things? Like they may not reveal that, but in the video, you're actually seeing like what's happening in the background. Where are they? You know, those types of things. And so one of the benefits of technology actually helps you to see the patient in their natural surroundings. And so that's a quick tangent, but it made me think about that as far as technology. But I do see that the role of devices is one of the aspects of the future. And I think it's an important one because when we talk about some shortage of healthcare providers, there is a study that, and I don't have the actual name of the study right now, but I heard it discussed this week that people who are suffering with PTSD are actually more likely to get help and care if they can do it over the phone, even if it's like being triaged by artificial intelligence, because that idea of not sitting in the same room with another person where you can, you know, somehow feel judged or more ashamed of your condition provides a safety net for people. That wasn't something that I'd ever considered. But as we talk about things like behavioral health and trying to remove the stigma and getting people better access to more care, telehealth, I think, is going to play a very important role in that. Yeah. I coincidentally just read an article, too, that there are some products out there that are trying to lower the defenses of people as well. And so there's a, a belief by this one organization that they believe that everyone's either a cat person or a dog person. And so therefore you choose which one you are and that is who you're interfacing with at the beginning because people seem a lot looser when they're interacting with like a cartoon cat or a cartoon dog as they initiate that piece. But you actually brought up a great piece about artificial intelligence that actually was in my mind. It seems like we're totally aligned in our thinking right now as far as what the future holds. But the role of artificial intelligence and bots will be a big aspect of the future as well. And I wouldn't go as far to say that AI and robots and things like that will replace the clinician, but there is no doubt that it will actually help and enhance the capabilities of the clinician, not just in triage, but actually in detection and things like that. And so there have been some studies that I've read out there where algorithms and artificial intelligence are equal to or sometimes better at actually detecting certain things. So in detecting whether a picture of someone's skin, which moles are potentially cancerous versus not, AI is actually pretty good at detecting those things. I've read somewhere that robots and AI are pretty good at finding which are the ideal eggs to use for in vitro fertilization, for example. And so, as you can see in these cases, the role of virtual care, the broader definition of it that includes artificial intelligence, it isn't replacing the role of the doctor, but like who wouldn't want a better chance of picking you know, the more suitable eggs for in vitro or which moles should we look at first. And I would say like one of the most exciting things that I've seen is matching people to clinical trials. So there are hundreds, if not thousands of clinical trials that are registered every year where people can participate in. But how do you find the right clinical trial for you? A lot of these clinical trials are looking for people with a certain type of gene structure. Maybe if you have an abnormality in one type of gene, but on another, this trial is for you. Maybe they're looking for certain age groups, certain characteristics. So for someone to go through 
and go through all thousands and thousands of clinical trial possibilities mm -hmm. for you, if you could do that in an automated way through artificial intelligence to help identify those things, I think that's a big value add there as well. So I do see a big role for artificial intelligence yeah. in the future as well. So about a year ago, I was at the Consumer Electronics Show oh, in Vegas, yeah. which was really amazing. Here's massive. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is massive. And one of the things I walked away from that particular show was all of the smart clothing that they mm -hmm, were showing mm -hmm. as prototype. And we think about, you know, a lot of us have the smart watches or our phones tracking our steps and our heartbeat and all of that yeah. throughout the day. Yeah. But what about, you know, taking that technology even a step further and embedding the technology so that we're continuously having our yeah. heart rate checked, our body temperature, other yeah. bodily, you know, function and incorporating that into yes. that space in virtual yes. care. Yes. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think about the fact that yeah. it might not be too far in the future yeah. that we hardly ever yeah. go to brick and mortar yeah. unless maybe yeah. there is something more catastrophic or chronic yeah. Yeah. that requires that and everything else. Sure, sure. I still assume surgeries and things like that will still require some well, sure, interaction. Well, sure, sure. Can't, can't quite yeah. Google everything yet. Yes. But, yes. you know, if you could monitor your yeah. health condition yeah. or be notified if something yes. is all of a sudden not quite right and that yes. you should seek care, yes. Yes. that could definitely change yeah. the direction tremendously. I, I feel like we're just so aligned in the flow of our thoughts here because I completely agree with that as far as the future, the role of those types of wearables and other things. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but I know the technology already exists today. But I see that the future, one of the major differences in what technology and virtual care and wearables will bring is that right now when you tend to interact with the healthcare system, it's because you actually have something at that moment that you need to take care of. And so it is, I have a headache. Where can I seek care? And at this point in time, it's, can I handle this virtually or do I have to go in? Right. Or if I have the flu, if I have a rash, those types of things are all things that have happened and you need to deal with it at that moment. But when it comes to wearables and technology, and even the combination of artificial intelligence, the future is more about early detection. So imagine a world now in the future where rather than, wow, I have a headache, where do I get care? What if you actually had an alert that popped up on your phone that says, all signs are showing that you're gonna have a headache in around three days. I think you can do a couple of things to prevent that from happening. That's where I think the future is ultimately going as far as the role of technology is that rather than dealing with it at that moment, you actually get some sort of healthy warning before then that something is about to happen. I mean, you could, there's already these things, you know, with the Apple Watch and things yeah. like that. They're tracking falls. They now have the ability to do some sort of EKG type of capability. You know, you could see where that's going. It's detecting heart attacks before they actually occur. And so it's not even just physical, like someone who doesn't even know they're depressed, maybe right. displaying actions or biomedical readings that are indicating that they need help. And right. so I think the role of early detection is actually really amplified from this perspective. I think it's really exciting. I yeah. think it's really exciting. And this is one of those episodes that I hope that people listen to it and feel like there is definitely a lot of hope in healthcare. Yes. Yes. There are a lot of things that are in the works to bring relief, whether it's cost, whether it's access, yeah. quality, 
all of those things combined. And one of the things that we think that people could do today, whether you are in human resources or as a user, you probably have a benefit like this included in your health yes. plan, whether it's text, whether it's the full-fledged telephone and video chat, register. Yeah. Yeah. Go register, download You know the Regents app on your yes. phone, do it now before you're sick because then in that moment, it's just challenging to do that. It will make your life so much simpler at that moment and you'll be able to experience this new era of healthcare that I think we're just starting to kind of tiptoe Mm -hmm. into. Thanks for checking into this episode of The Checkup with me. I hope that you have enjoyed hearing about emerging trends in healthcare technology as much as I've enjoyed putting together this topic for you. If you want to stay tuned to more information about Regents and how they're innovating, as well as other topics that we bring out here to talk about what's going on in human resources and in employee benefits, please like and subscribe to my podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. We're also available on YouTube. If you go to the Propel Insurance website, you can also subscribe there as well. If you like it, share it with a friend. And as always, I love hearing from you and look forward to connecting with you on the next episode of The Checkup.